Hello and good day, beautiful, amazing podcast family, wonderful spirit here on planet Earth. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. We have got a fantastic episode that you're going to want to like, share, and get out there. It's very important. We have Jeffrey Smith on and we are talking about the danger of GMOs, healing foods, and saving the human food supply. Uh, This is very serious. His knowledge on GMOs and the food is top notch. He's been fighting this battle forever and he is basically putting out the SOS to humanity that we need to do what we can to save the farms, to save the food, because we are at a critical time. Um, Jeffrey Smith is an award-winning filmmaker, celebrated public speaker, and has helped millions of people understand health worldwide. So in this one, we talk about the danger of GMOs, GMO 2.0, his film Secret Ingredients, food-shaped objects, the healing power of leaving GMOs, the 90-day lifestyle upgrade program where he teaches you how to get all the GMOs out and how to, um, you know, eat healthy without all the heavy metals and things like that that we've been exploring recently we talk about the link to anxiety and depression how to avoid uh, roundup the prussian education system how, how monsanto and others rig science how the epa and fda are easily controlled and manipulated the propaganda of gmo companies um and so much more this is a very very important episode so please do what you can to share it out there share it in email on all your social medias uh do what you can because it truly is a war and we are winning this war with your help with your sends um you know it's blacklisted shadow banned and all deleted and all that kind of stuff but it's still getting out there for people like you sharing it so please do what you can to share it um this episode is brought to you by our new sponsor the good inside and you can get their pure body extra this is a zeolite uh specifically made for heavy metal detox it is a phenomenal product so you can go to the goodinside.com forward slash matt b and you get your first bottle for five dollars this is a limited time if it's up by that time you can get some of their other products as well they only make top notch products and it is very very great to start a heavy metal detox protocol um, and get you started so amazing um, product amazing company so excited that uh, they decided to partner with me and uh, for those of you guys who are really interested in making a difference in this world you want to get into clarity and power for living your life purpose and maybe you want to go from a job to a vocation and know your calling and how to deliberately become the architect of your life hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or email me matt at zenathlete.com we can take you through the soul compass course the quantum heart hypnosis or one-on-one and group coaching all of it is designed to help you know and live your life purpose to create and leave a legacy so you are increasing your intuition living up to your highest potential than doing it within a community experience. So if that sounds interesting to you, hit me up matt at zenathlete.com or check out the programs over at mattbelair.com. You can also become a supporter of the show. Uh, That's a great way to support the show as well. Just going over there, becoming a member, you can do so for free or by donation. And if you need a donation link, just go matt at zenathlete.com and I will gladly send you one because this is, I got to back up all the stuff on my own website to make sure that it stays there. So uh, that's it. Thank you guys so much for all of your support and all the emails I've received. Uh, Keep up the good fight. Lots of great stuff is coming out. The Choose Freedom Law Summit is still accessible for those who want to check that out. And uh, lots of solutions coming up. Uh, Check out Telegram, t.me forward slash Matt Belair for a ton of links each and every day. Um, But the best way to support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. And so that's it. Let's get into this episode. But before we do, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. 
and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, kindness, truth, spirit, God, nature, the universe, all things good and beautiful in the world, and get ready to enjoy this incredible episode with Jeffrey Smith. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. After getting deleted from Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, we need your help to spread the word and message of these incredible guests. If you can support the show by becoming a member, leaving a review, sharing episodes far and wide, and most importantly, by doing three kind actions wherever you are in the world today, we would greatly appreciate it. Today's guest delivers transformational communication on a global scale. A best-selling author, award-winning filmmaker, celebrated public speaker, and his work has been influenced uh, has influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide. He is the founding executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology and has received numerous awards including Person of the Year and the Lifetime Achievement Award. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey Smith. Thank you, Matthew. Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, before we got started, I just said thank you for all your work. I'm reading through your bio and your films, and I was like, holy smokes, Like this is, this is incredible. So why don't we just begin with uh, some of your work, some of your life path, like some of the amazing things that you've accomplished, and then we'll go into the solutions that you're bringing forth, because what I love about your work is you're, you're seeing big issues and big problems. Uh, you're addressing them, but then you're also coming up with solutions. What can we do to uh, change this, to have a positive effect, to kind of stop some of the leading and create something that is uh, positive and helpful for everybody. So I'd love for you to share a little bit. Sure. For 25 years, I have been uh, working in the area of genetically modified organisms and have become the leading spokesperson on the health dangers. I wrote two books, made five movies, gave a thousand lectures in 45 countries and trained 1500 speakers and organized over 10,000 grassroots activists. And the angle that I came in and the reason I, I started is because, first of all, GMOs present a unprecedented threat for all living beings and all future generations, including human health. And now with GMO 2.0, which we will get into, it's the existential threat is even greater. But I realized that the other nonprofits out there we're focusing on the environment, on patenting, on corporation control, things like that. But I felt like that wasn't gonna connect with the consumers, drive consumer choices, driving consumer dollars, driving corporate decisions, and changing the supply chain based on consumer demand. And we only needed a small number to hit the tipping point. So I basically drove this tipping point model into the global awareness for GMOs and now, we have 51% of American citizens saying that they think GMO foods are unsafe, 48% globally. The tipping point is underway. And while we would be normally celebrating our success, along comes GMOs 2.0 that could wipe out not only all of our successes, but humanity. It's absolutely um, crucial that we remain vigilant because what's going on right now could not only replace nature, but destroy it. Holy smokes. Well, that is some uh, terrifying 
words to consider, you know, for people who are new to this, can you give them a basic, uh, basic rundown, like some of the dangers of GMOs and then uh, what's going on with GMO 2.0? Cause I, I don't know anything about the 2.0 version. I do know that, you know, Monsanto back in the day, you can't patent nature, but, but you can, uh, you know, genetically modify it. Right. And then you can patent it. And so started to work its way into farms and then farmers weren't allowed to use natural seeds, which to me is completely bonkers. And so all this really weird, unnatural stuff is going on for massive profit. And, and why are you, you know, what's going on with genetically modified food for humans have been eating regular food for thousands of years. So what's this going to do to the body and what are the effects it's having? You know, so we'll hold off on the existential threat and the possibility of ending terrestrial plant life on Earth and forever changing weather patterns and creating new pandemics. We'll hold off on that. I'll just hold it as a teaser and then say this, that in my second to last film called Secret Ingredients, we looked at uh, more than a dozen people who switched from food shaped objects to organic. So they, when they switched to organic, the children who had autism left the spectrum people who were infertile got pregnant and this in, in one in one clinic it was about a hundred um in uh, people who had cancer uh, showed vast improvements skin conditions brain fog digestive problems uh, anxiety allergies all these things started to or completely got better now these were these were not one-offs in the same film sacred ingredients we had doctors saying this is what we're seeing in our patients every day. And when they switch to their organic food, the symptoms go away. And for those that switch back, because in some cases it's a single meal or a weekend, or they just started going back to their old system, the symptoms returned. And then they became very confident that the food was at the cause of the problems. Now, what is it about non-organic food that may be causing these problems? We in the film and in our work identify two categories, the GMOs and the Roundup herbicide sprayed on most GMOs as well as many non-GMOs. These are devastating for health. We, I, I surveyed 3,256 people uh, who reported getting better from 28 different conditions when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic. We have over 30 correlational charts showing major diseases rising in parallel with GMOs and Roundup use so that the slope is basically the same. We look at the animal feeding studies where the animals are force-fed GMOs or Roundup and they suffer from either these diseases or their precursors. And we look at the modes of action of the GMOs and the Roundup and we can see plausible causative pathways to explain why people are now getting cancer and diabetes and autism and infertility and heart conditions and digestive problems and anxiety and depression and, and allergies and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. All of these things have been linked to GMOs and or Roundup, and we now understand why. In fact, I've presented at dozens of medical conferences and tens of thousands of physicians are prescribing organic diets and so when I go to these uh, conferences, perhaps the second time, I say, okay, how many are prescribing non-GMO diets? What changes have you seen in your patient? I say that to the doctors. I also say it to the general public. What changes have you seen? And at 150 lectures, it's the same thing. Digestive improvement off the chart. 85% reported improvement in our survey. 
it's always the number one improved uh, uh, symptom. Second is fatigue and brain fog, weight problems, anxiety, depression, allergies and sensitivity. And we're still above 50% in terms of the surveys. Now, I haven't told you what a GMO is. I haven't told you what Roundup is. I'm saying this because most people are not, if they don't know, they don't care until they hear their disease or the disease of their parents or kids or spouse. And we're talking about most major diseases, if not all of them, are have a link. And we can explore what that link is. And as I said before, this isn't the bad news. <laughs> well, the good news is we can get rid of it. We can actually see reverse it. I mean, when we talk about 85% of the people who in the survey of the 3,256 people that re responded, 85.2% said they got better in digestion, but not just minor. 80% of those, it was either significant improvement, nearly gone, or completely recovered. That's the kind of thing we see in all of these categories, dramatic improvements. And because I've been you know, talking about this for 25 years, I may have actually heard more of the testimonials than anyone, maybe some of the practitioners who've put 9,000 patients on organic diet. I spoke to one person who did that. I talked to a person who put 5,000 of her patients on on a non-GMO organic diet. She said, they all get better. They all show some improvement. I said, what percentage? She says, I told you all. Okay, 98%. And so I said, can I go to your clinic and interview the patients? And sure enough, they I, I figured out that they were getting better. But when the humans switch to non-GMO and organic, sometimes there's competing explanations, like maybe they're reducing processed foods or they're, you know, if it was not just non-GMO, maybe it's organic. But at the same time, I went to farmers who put their pigs and cows from GMO soy and corn to non-GMO soy and corn and reported the same improvements. So it was like, yeah, I get it. We've come up. And I talked to veterinarians, pediatricians, doctors who were working before GMOs were introduced into the food supply. And they watched this skyrocketing of problems in humans and in pets, in livestock. And when they figured out that GMOs and Roundup were part of it, and they put their patient population back on the, on the non-GMO organic foods, they see a return. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a level of tremendous database, tremendous database of clinical experience, personal experience, correlational evidence, plausible causative pathways, animal feeding studies, and when you hear the details, logic. Yeah, well, well, it, it makes perfect sense as well. You know, I've interviewed a lot of guests that have um, cured themselves of many things, including cancer or, or whatever the case may be, very serious things, and always the same thing. Clean food, clean water, uh, de-stress and, uh, you know, a, a healthy diet. And, and so they'd have to let go of a lot of things, but clean food is, is massive. And, uh, the, I don't know if, what they call him, the godfather of medicine, but Hippocrates. And he said, yeah. let food be thy medicine. And it makes perfect sense when we know for sure what we are eating is not 
is, is harmful. There's a lot of crap in there that the body does not want. So you then move towards what the body should naturally be eating. And the body puts itself into homeostasis and, uh, you know, cures all the things that are incorrect and it does everything it's supposed to. And this kind of goes back to, um, germ theory versus terrain theory. And a lot of the doctors that I've met from the beginning of this situation that we're in are, are more on terrain theory, which is basically saying, uh, you give the body what it needs and you put it back into homeostasis and it's going to solve itself. It's going to be able to protect itself from whatever's coming from the environment. It's an, an extraordinary system. And so um, I'd love for you to take it wherever you want to go because you're on a roll. But I'd also love to ask, how do we get to that organic diet? Because I've heard as well that uh, sometimes they label it organic and it's not and it's very, very expensive. So can you give people some really quick tips? It's like, okay, you know, we're with you. There's a lot of studies here. We're going to get on the organic diet, but it's through the roof cost. So I think that one, you're probably just going to have to suck it up and, and figure out how to pay for it. But how do you make sure it's le legit? Because when I go to my grocery store, I'm sure the meat is crap and I ex shop at the expensive one. You know, the foods, I don't think they're organic. And every time I buy organic, I'm like $50 for a couple of days. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to be rich to sort this out. So what, what can you suggest to people? Well, I can give some specific tips uh, about what people can do to save money and to save time. In fact, I created a 90-day lifestyle upgrade where I brought in experts who were way up the, the learning curve on living an organic lifestyle, and they gave those specific examples. But I, I also want to suggest that people think of their food budget in a bigger way to combine the food budget with the health budget, with the philanthropy budget, and that that actually is an appropriate way to look at it. I'm gonna share with you, I'm gonna drill down a little some of the problems of why GMOs and Roundup cause these things so that it's not just me saying it. I'm gonna give some logical pathways as to, oh, that's what it does, that's why it's dangerous, that's why I may need to try a non GMO organic diet to see if it's helping me get to sleep, if it's getting rid of my anxiety, if it's helping me lose weight. And I'll explain why these things are linked. Um, then you have, okay, is it, it's not just food anymore. It's, as you said, Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine. And we have interviewed families who switched to organic diets and their medical bills dropped far more than the increase in their food bills. In fact, the, it's interesting that the, the percentage of American income that was spent on food has dropped dramatically since the 50s or 40s. And what took its place was that percentage now on the medical expenses. And I mean, I've seen families that dropped like more than $15,000 a year in their medical expenses in two years um, in a family of six. Now we can't guarantee that, but but I mean, you'll see in the film, Secret Ingredients, how families say, we don't go to doctors anymore because we're not getting sick. Let's, let's give some of those specific details a little later because I want the motivation to be higher, Matthew. I, wanna, I want people to really wanna know. Okay, so let's just talk about Roundup for a second. Roundup is the most commonly used herbicide on the planet. It was originally patented as a descaler to clean inside industrial boilers and pipes. That's because its major toxin called glyphosate is a 
chelator. It grabs onto minerals and doesn't let go. So it would grab onto the minerals of the buildup and pull it out of the pipes. When they took that effluent and put it on the ground, it killed all the plants. Monsanto bought the molecule, patented it, and created herbicide. So one thing that we know it does is it grabs onto minerals. And so when it's sprayed in the croplands, it makes the crops mineral deficient. Most livestock in North America eat the Roundup Ready soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa. Roundup Ready is genetically engineered crops engineered by Monsanto to be sprayed with Roundup herbicide and not die. So you can spray over the whole field, kill all of the other plant matter, the weeds, but the crop that's genetically engineered survives, the Roundup gets driven into the crop itself, into the food portion, you can't wash it off, you eat it, it's there. Roundup is also sprayed to dry down the grains and the beans in the population. It's also used on the ground in orchards, in vineyards. It's in orange juice, it's in wine, it's in beer, it's in oats like crazy, it's in wheat, it's in lentils, it's in mung beans. These are non-GMO, but they're sprayed with Roundup three to five days before harvest. So there's a lot of this nasty chemical there. So what happens when you take the Roundup inside? Well, first of all, you're not only eating mineral deficient Roundup ready crops and the mineral deficient meat from the animals that have been eating them, that it grabs the minerals available in your body and makes them unavailable. Minerals are like the foreman that comes in and tells every all the workers what to do. Without the minerals, they're cofactors in metabolic pathways. Without them, they're all sitting around on break. So there's all these metabolic pathways that don't function without these minerals a long list of diseases. Okay, that's one long list of disease. Second long list of disease. If you put this glyphosate or the full formulation Roundup in a plate of human cells, let's say the cells that line the digestive tract, once you put it in that system, the cells separate. This is, it can become leaky. When you have separated cells along the digestive tract, that leaky gut, according to a Harvard professor who published an article saying, all disease comes from leaky gut. Long list of diseases, all diseases. And it creates the gap between the cells in the gut. Then Roundup or glyphosate is also patented, not just as an herbicide, but as an antibiotic. It kills beneficial bacteria in the body not the nasty stuff. So it'll kill the bifidobacteria, the lactobacillus, but not the salmonella, E. coli, botulism bacteria. So when they put it into the human system in the study, it changed the whole structure of the microbiome. The microbiome, changes in that microbiome are linked to 80% of diseases. That's a long list of diseases. And these are driven in part by antibiotics. And guess what? the most popular antibiotics being used in the world is Roundup in the food, on the food that we're eating. Then it also causes a miscommunication or a blocking of the, blocking of the communication between cells called gap junctions, and it damages the DNA, causing an oxidative stress. Those lead to cancer. So the World Health Organization called it a probable human carcinogen for humans, definitely a carcinogen for animals class 2A carcinogen. And there were three Roundup trials where juries decided that the plaintiffs got their non-Hodgkin's lymphoma 
from using Roundup herbicide. It also damages the mitochondria. The mitochondria are the energy centers of the whole body. So brain fog, fatigue, but not just that. There's a mitochondrial theory of cancer. There's a mitochondrial theory of aging. You take a tissue of a, 60, of a 95 year old and a, and a newborn or a young, young child and you compare them in a lab, the only thing that you can notice clearly the difference is the amount of healthy mitochondria. And mitochondria are damaged or destroyed by Roundup and glyphosate. Also, it blocks the ability of the gut bacteria to produce the precursors to very important happy chemicals, serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine, which can explain the anxiety, the depression, the insomnia, Parkinson's, pain. It also is an endocrine disruptor. The hormones run the whole body. I'm just getting started. It also causes um, uh, birth defects in the next generation. In fact, there was one study with mice where the birth defects were worse in the great-grandchildren. They only exposed it to the pregnant mother, but, but the great-grandchildren were as 90% had serious illness or disease because of the epigenetic effects that are inherited. So now we understand why it's really important to avoid Roundup. How do you avoid Roundup? Non-GMO isn't good enough because it's sprayed on non-GMO wheat and, and barley and oats. And if you go to responsibletechnology.org, you can get a report for all the different um, foods that have been tested in the country. We list them all in reports. So you can get a figure out. And you'll always see that when a product is organic, it's either non-detectable levels of glyphosate or very low compared to conventional. So now you understand why it's so important to eat organic, and that's just one chemical, but it's actually like a master chemical because it damages the foundations of our health. It also blocks the ability to detox other toxins. It blocks the, the liver's ability to detox and it blocks the cell's ability to detox. For those that are the geeks, it's the P450, the P450 cytochrome pathway in the, in the liver, it's the uh, NRD3, NRD2, uh, pathway in the, in the cells. So there's, these are studies that have been done. I don't need to quote them. You get that we understand what's going on and some very, very powerfully um, brilliant scientists have identified that these are things that are going on in the US population and in the world population where glyphosate is sprayed. And they're seeing the rise of disease rising in parallel with this increase in use. So now that we have motivated people to eat organic, now we can start talking about what people can do. But if you do go to organic, I strongly recommend, Matthew, take notes. Write down your energy level, your mood, and all your symptoms, one to 10, and the percentage that day of organic. And take a look and see if there's a correlation because you may not think about your eczema or your psoriasis or your allergies or your bloating or your irritable bowel when you eat organic because you may be thinking of something else. And whether that thing changes or not, what you're not thinking about may clear up. But if you write down all your symptoms, one to 10, plus your energy level because you got that mitochondria functioning, brain fog too, and your mood because you have the serotonin melatonin dopamine 
uh, fix, then you may realize, oh my God, everything's getting better or these things are getting better. That becomes your motivation to continue. Holy smokes. Wow. Well, I think you successfully motivated uh, everybody listening to turn to, you know, non-GMO, non-glyphosate and all that stuff. And I've heard about the, the, the uh, dangers of glyphosate for a while and GMOs for a while. And so what is, if I go to the grocery store or do you have resources on your, on your website, how do we, how do we begin doing that the right way? Cause like I, I heard that you could, you know, if they say it's organic, then they can just buy that and write, and it's just an organic sticker and it's not legit or something like that. Then I've heard about like the dirty dozen where they spray them all with chemicals, all the berries. And so I look at the local farms, like, what can I even do? Like, where am I going to get this clean food? Cause I don't even know if you can trust the farmer's market, although the farmer's market it depends where you are. Um, but here I think it's better, um, but who knows these days. All right. So here's some tips that I have and you can go to live healthy, BeWell.com. LiveHealthyBeWell.com. I not only have my podcast there, I have the Secret Ingredients movie and the 90-Day Lifestyle Upgrade, which is like 13 weeks of, by the end of it, you're living an organic lifestyle easily, probably less expensively than you were eating before, or at least less expensively than you would be had you not learned how to do it. All right. So first of all, organic is a pretty serious certification. Um, there is some fraud. Some of that fraud comes from overseas uh, shipments. There was a fraud coming out of uh, Eastern Europe. There were some fraud in the United States. But by and large, the vast majority of organic products do meet the strict requirements. And the requirements include no GMOs and no Roundup and no other toxic synthetic chemicals. Now, those are the in the prohibited list. One thing that you should know is you may see that little butterfly non-GMO project verified on, on products. Um, there's huge numbers of products in the United States that have that little verification. Now, we recommend that organic is more important, but you may see them together. That's actually even better. Why, why would it be better if they're together? Organic does not require testing. It's a process certification. Okay, you didn't use this, you did use this, you've met our requirements, you get the seal. The non-GMO project does require testing, but only for one thing, GMO contamination. So if you use any of the at-risk ingredients that are genetically engineered, there's 12 GMO food crops, soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa, zucchini, yellow squash, papaya from Hawaii or China, uh, apples and potatoes that don't turn brown when you slice them, and a pink pineapple. Those are the only genetically engineered crops. You'll have to stop it and replay it. Or go to our website at responsibletechnology.org and find out there. You'll get the list. And there's also animal products that are from animals that have been fed GMOs, milk from dairy cows that have been injected with genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. Some of the more detailed salmon's going to be on the market soon in the United States. It was already on the market in Canada by catering genetically engineered. So it, once you, you, you figure out how to avoid those, but then you also want to avoid the, the non-GMO products that are sprayed with Roundup 
And there's two or three ways to do that. One is you just eat organic. Two, you go to the farmer's market and you ask them, I don't, you know, do you spray? You can go, you can say, I react to chemicals. You don't have to tell them whether it's conscious or not or whatever. I react to chemicals and I need to know what's what has been sprayed on this. Then you're putting them a little more, I mean, it's like a stronger request. It's like, they don't want you to get hurt. Okay, well, I used a little bit of this. You know, great, thank you. I think I have to go somewhere else. Great, cool. You know, so ask there. But you can, there's also a certification, no glyphosate residue certification. You'll see that on some non-organic products. They'll just test the final product. There's no glyphosate residue. They can get that. You can grow your own. And then you can also go to responsibletechnology.org and down and just link on the, the report, which has all these raw fruits, vegetables, and grains plus brands. And so you'll realize pretty soon you don't want to eat anything with chickpeas unless it's organic. So no more hummus, no lentils, no mung beans, no, no oats, no bread, if you're trying to avoid these, unless it's organic or has glyphosate-free certification. Um, <clears throat> now, in the process of doing that, you'll also look around and see what's available locally. You may not have a lot of local availability, so then you have to look at some of these groups that can deliver as your standard Thrive. Different groups can deliver either by regular common carrier, as your standard has its own trucks in the United States with 2,500 drop points. I don't know what's going on in Canada, but you can also form local co-ops or find local co-ops. There are ways you can buy things directly from the farm. Once you become a foodie, it's like the mystery of how do I do it starts to fill in with data points. You start to connect with others. The Weston A. Price chapters have information about how to connect. Different groups have already helped other people solve that problem. So it really depends on what your local resources are, what's available to, to, to drop off at your place, and um, what kind of farmers markets, et cetera, again, local resources. Um, but you also, you, I, I, if you can't get organic, at least get non-GMO, because not only are six of the, the major are, are, uh, GMOs sprayed with Roundup, the GMOs are toxic also in our understanding, even with the GMO studies that have not been with GMOs sprayed with Roundup showed premature death, uh, tumors, cancer, potentially precancerous cell growth, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune systems, um, damaged reproductive systems, changed enzymes, all these different things just from the GMOs alone. And then you have GMOs in combination with Roundup and it can get really dangerous. So. Those are some of the examples of what we can do in terms of our purchases. And what I would suggest is you may want to do it as a family or as a community, which then puts the burden. How do you convince others? So to help you, I truly recommend just show the film secret ingredients. We've done the pre and post test ratings, like rate yourself what percentage of, org of organic you eat. And now after the show, what percentage do you plan? Everyone shifts. It's like, it's like, oh my God, I have to do this. I've had people come up to me and say, I've been telling my husband for years about this. I can't get him to change his diet. I showed him your film and now he's changing. Or the same thing with my 16 year old daughter said she didn't even want to watch it, but now she's insisting. So we're, we provide not only the information in terms of, of how to change, but the motivation so that you can get others to change with you.
That's amazing. Well, what it sounds like as for most things is that we need to shift the paradigm of how we think about food and then make that commitment because it might not be the easiest way thing. It might, you know, you, unfortunately a lot of time you can't go to the grocery store and say, this is all safe and good. You know, and when I first got into understanding a little bit of food, maybe like 12 years ago, um, I was like, holy smokes, like every single thing I'm eating is terrible for me. Yeah. I was like every single thing. And then it's just like more and more and more. You can't even just buy regular fruits and vegetables if because of what's going on. And you look at all of the illness and the autoimmune and um, tumors and cancer and all this stuff. It just makes perfect sense that it's coming from these foods because we have the, da the data, the research and the common sense to know just like fluoride and water, things like that. It's just completely ludicrous. So I I appreciate that point of view and, and I'll invite people to check out your websites and your resources. Uh, Live Healthy, Be Well is a great resource and you've got um, some resources as well on your other site, which is responsibletechnology.org. And we're going to be yeah. talking soon about protectnaturenow.com because I promised everyone to really scare them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to right, segue to yes, please. This is just a warm up. This is the appetizer fear. This like, is the appetizer. Like, <laughs> would you like some fear with that? <laughs> yeah, please so, continue. I have to say, um, you know, I actually don't carry the fear into this conversation. I, I and if I say to, I say to people all the time, if you have to eat a GMO because of your situation, or you 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 don't even realize you've eaten a GMO and you discover it, don't worry about it because the GMO is toxic and worrying is toxic. Now you have two toxins. Just don't worry. Just do your best. I mean, the food supply is poisoned, and so we do our best to minimize. You cannot necessarily in most people's lifestyle end up with a pure pure uh, uh food supply it's gonna have some stuff in it and if you get worried and all anxious about it now you're damaging the system through your worry making you more vulnerable to everything so so i'm saying this also in as a preparation for what i'm about to share because what i'm about to share is potentially worrisome, but just like we have the ability individually to eat organic, our Protect Nature Now campaign is providing an opportunity for us to collectively solve the problem and minimize the likelihood that any of these issues are going to be a problem. I can't say guarantee, but minimize. Okay, so there's only 12 GMO food crops that are commercialized. And the old way to create GMOs was to take genes from one species and blast it in a gene gun into a plate of cells, hoping that some of those genes make it into the DNA of some of those cells or infect it with bacteria. The process causes massive collateral damage. You don't know where the gene ends up. And it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess. Now they have what's called gene editing. And they're using the same propaganda to claim that it is safe and predictable and natural. And they're trying to convince governments, including Canada and the United States and the UK and EU and Japan and Argentina and Brazil, and some of them they've already convinced, they're trying to convince them to turn a complete blind eye to gene editing saying, just call it breeding. Allow companies to do the gene editing themselves and we'll, we'll just, they'll do a good job. It's, it's completely predictable. It's safe. Now, 
It's not. It's very, very dangerous. It causes massive collateral damage. It's, it's basically, here's the thing. For gene editing, you have a scissors, a molecular scissors that cuts the DNA. And then when it cuts it, the cellular repair mechanism freaks out saying, I got to fix this. This is the priority. The alarm goes off. It sends in the, the uh, maintenance people. They drive up in their cars and they start patching it together, right? Now, when it does that, you have no control of it. All you can do is hope that your cut is in the right place. <coughs> but when it gets put together, they'll grab stuff to patch it with. You may put a piece of gene there and say, okay, stick this in there. Great. So now you have inserted new pieces of gene, but maybe all you want to do is knock out that gene, make it so that it doesn't function anymore. But maybe the Petri dish has a serum from goats or, or from cows, and there's some DNA floating around there. So then the maintenance person says, hey, look, this looks like DNA. Let's stuff it in there. So we have gene edited cows that have bacteria in their DNA. They didn't know about it for years. They have gene edited mice that have retroviruses from goats and cows because there happen to be those in the serum. So that's one way that it can go wrong. Second is where does it cut? Well, in addition to the scissors, there's a guide that points out, it sort of checks its, um, its clipboard and it looks for a certain sequence along the DNA and says, oh, this looks good, cut here. So then the machine stops, it cuts, and then it'll continue looking. Oh, well, this looks good. It's close enough. Cut here. Cut here. So it may cut all over the DNA, but it's only looking for one target cut. So these other things are called non-target mutations, and they can happen up and down. There's other, there's, these are just some of the things that can go wrong. Any single cut that's in the wrong place, any point mutation, can lead to allergens, toxins, carcinogens, anti-nutrients being produced in food or changes in the DNA structure being produced in microbes or animals or whatever. And it's way beyond the understanding of modern science. It's not rocket science, it's far more complicated. And yet they're convincing governments and there's a big um, battle going on right now in Canada where there was a proposed deregulation of all gene editing, same thing in the UK. The United States has already pretty much deregulated gene editing in most circumstances. Um, the EU hasn't, but they're under pressure to do it. Now let's add a couple of things here. Now that you understand that, let's make it juicy. When you release a GMO into the environment, it can propagate through reproduction, passing on its corrupted gene genome into the gene pool forever. You cannot recall it. You can't necessarily track it. It's there forever. The most common result of genetic engineering, whether it's the traditional or the gene editing, is surprise side effects. So now you have these little genetic time bombs. You don't know what's going to happen when it gets into the ecosystem and there's a change in a plant, animal, microbe, etc., that you did not anticipate. And so now we're having permanent changes in the gene pool there's no there's there's the effort of the biotech industry to have no regulation and here's the kicker right now matthew you can buy a gene editing kit on amazon for 169 dollars for two thousand dollars you can buy your own lab and then for the price of dinner you can create a new microbe and release it and name it we are in a situation where we've come to an inevitable time in human history where we can easily and cheaply redirect the streams of evolution for all time. 
Everything with DNA is being targeted from bacteria to butterflies, from fungus to flowers, everything. And so if we don't do something now, future generations will not inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution, but instead the products of laboratory creations whose number one most common result is surprise side effects. When we look at all the different kingdoms that can be genetically engineered, the most dangerous are the, are the little guys, the microbial kingdoms, bacteria, virus, yeast, fungi, algae. These are the ones that are mission critical. The microbiome, we talked about it earlier, 80% of diseases can find their source in changes in the internal balance of our microbiome. The microbiome in the soil promotes healthy ecosystems. If you damage the microbiome, which has co-evolved with organisms and each other for billions of years, if you damage it, you might damage permanently or even collapse ecosystems as well as cause disease. We did not need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel the world and mutate. You may not know that microbes have a special, they have swap meets, they meet together and they just like the old trading cards, it was Dungeons and Dragons and maybe your generation, it was, it was baseball cards in mine. I don't know what you played with, but they're just changing their genes. They're going back and forth, changing genes and saying, oh, let's try, take this one for a test drive. So if you release a, if you create a change in the genome of bacteria and you release it into the environment, it may get into ecosystems all over the planet. There's an estimated 1 trillion types of microbes as well, and much more in terms of the numbers, 1 trillion types of microbes. We are babes in the woods, hardly understanding a fraction of what they do and what they are. But the more we look at in the 50,000 studies that have been done on the human microbiome in the last five years, it is awe inspiring. You know that in a pregnant woman in the second trimester, new bacteria enter the birth canal that digest milk. Why? Because that inoculates the baby through the birth canal so that the baby can digest milk. The mother's milk, a significant portion is undigestible by the baby. Why? because it's designed to feed the microbiome that was inoculated in the birth canal, plus by microbes in the breast, uh, in, the, in the water, in the milk, but also on the skin. 10% of the microbiome of the baby comes from the skin. If the baby has problems and changes and has a specific health condition, the microbiome from the saliva of the baby feed back that information through the breast of the mother. When, when, there's, a, when there's problems in the body, there's a shift in the microbiome to fix it. If there's a tumor in the breast, new bacteria come up. If there's Alzheimer's, fungus comes up. There's different ways that this little micro Jedi army works with us to keep us healthy. Why is it so important that the infant has a healthy microbiome? Because it determines the health for the rest of their life and also for the future generations. It's interesting that we have outsourced about 90%, according to experts, of our, of our daily metabolic pathways to the microbiome. We don't have a single gene in the body that can tell us to repair a particular place in our gut. That's been outsourced to the microbiome. And that's just one of many, many. So it's because we are a community that has co-evolved. Now you introduce new genetic elements, a soil remediation probiotic, 
put in a field in Arkansas. It ends up in infants in California. It ends up in the Gobi Desert. It ends up in the atmosphere. What could go wrong? My last film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, which is available at protectnaturenow.com. It's free as, as opposed to Secret Ingredients, which is 80 minutes. This is just 16 minutes, free online. We go into what could go wrong. There was a nearly released microbe bacteria in the 90s that according to an expert who was right there with it, if it had been released, it could have ended terrestrial plant life. We don't know if it's exactly true because certain assumptions had to be there, but it could have ended terrestrial plant life if it had taken up and spread around the globe. Another bacteria could have changed weather patterns. These are the bad actors. A single one could cause cataclysms, but the whole background of the microbiome can be incrementally changed. And if we don't stop it, we may see hundreds of thousands or millions of gene edited microbes being introduced into the environment in this generation. We're gonna see biology classes in high school all doing gene editing and then flushing theirs down the toilet, which causes an environmental release. We're gonna see AI driven robots in companies like Monsanto doing thousands of manipulations 24 seven. And we're gonna see synthetic biology plants producing things like the impossible burger and may not destroy their genetically engineered yeast it gets out and it changes the nature of nature so this is an existential threat that is very underappreciated and unlike for the last 25 years where i've been focusing on consumer behavior successfully we now have to change laws so at protect nature now after watching the 16-minute film you can go to the advocacy platform, enter your information, and all of your elected officials come up, whether in the US, Canada, UK, EU, or Australia. And you can send them an email, you can send them a tweet, you can, your media come up, you can send pre-populated press releases to the reporters. And then we will send you another campaign when we have another asset. We did this already in the United States, we sent over, 2,000 elected officials, either the trailer and or the movie and or legislative report, now we're onto a white paper, and we sent it out to over 1,300 reporters or media channels. So we are educating all around the world and we are raising money. So if you can also go at Protect Nature Now, make a donation to our nonprofit, we need to open up offices around the world. We already have 50 global allies, we need 500, we need 5,000. We need to make this not just in the laws, Matthew. We know that laws can be changed. I was flown to Poland by the government, gave a press conference with their minister of, of environment, praising their non-GMO policy. One week later, that government was voted out and a pro-GMO government was put in place. Similarly, thing happened to me in Thailand. They came, they came to one policy, 10 days later, it was a new policy with a new government. So we need to embed this understanding in popular culture has to be taught in curriculum just as everyone knows about climate change we need to know that you cannot just release gm microbes in the environment everyone knows you don't give an atom bomb to a baby and say oh don't press this button it's like logical we don't have that same logic when it says oh don't release a gmo microbe because you might to change the life on earth as we know it end biological evolution as we know it these are things that the equation hasn't been made in the minds of the public and many scientists 
believe the mythological rhetoric, propaganda of the biotech industry that, that sells them this stuff saying, oh, it's completely safe, it's predictable. They don't even do the research after doing a gene edit to see if the sequence is what they wanted, to see if the protein sequence is what they wanted. The very few that have done it express shock and surprise in their publications that, by the way, one third of those knockout genes didn't work and they can be creating toxins or allergens. So what does that tell us about the genetically engineered mushroom that was not looked at by the United States government that used that same knockout technology that could be sold on the market and causing disease or death for humans because no one actually checked to see if the gene edit did what they wanted it to do. So I gave a lot of information here, but I'm gonna make it simple. ProtectNatureNow.com, hang out there for a while. Watch the film, participate in the advocacy. If you can make a recurring donation so we know what's coming each month so we can fill out our empty organizational chart and build a new movement. Wow. Well, that was uh, sufficiently terrifying and uh, also had, uh, you know, it very well articulated. The food danger has been going on for a long time from from what I've looked at, like um, from systematic uh, defarming in the States and in Canada. Um, now we've got these these other threats. I was going to ask you, you know, what do you think we should do for solutions? But I love how you already answered that. You're very solutions oriented. And so I'm wondering if you'd want to speculate on what, why would they be doing this? What's the, what's the purpose of, of doing this project? You know, like I know with everything that's going on in the world, many people are looking at how do I get clean food and clean water? When somebody gets really ill, they start to look at food and understand them and come to the same realizations that you're sharing here. And then it's like, why is this so hard to find? You know, why, why can't I find just good and uh, clean food? And, and why is the government trying to regulate everything? They're doing things in Canada right now that are going to purposely manufacture a food shortage of the supply chain and, and really pressuring our farmers and doing all kinds of really nasty things. And so we're really not taught how to farm, how to grow our own food and how to have clean water. And so can you, do you even want to speculate on why the heck they would be doing things like this? And if you have any further solutions for what we can do as a humanity, because it really does feel like it's a now or never scenario where these things have to stop. Like you said, these governments, you'd go in and you say, thank you for not doing this. You're aware. And then all of a sudden it's a new government that comes in. It seems like these corporate pseudo fake governments that are just putting in this agenda Agenda, no matter what the people say or don't say. So it's like the people really have to rise up and demand uh, what we want, right? And then they'll act. If, if enough of us come together and do something, action will be had. But if we sit passively, it's just going to keep coming down the pipe. And it's, it's really not for our benefit at all. It's a powerful question, Matthew. And, you know, some people will project or suspect diabolical issues but we can just look at profits and control and the way that governments have been captured by corporations. And that explains a lot. And part of my work over the last 25 years has been to expose that. And of course I have suggested solutions too there, but I'll give you, I'll give you some pretty clear examples. When I travel around the world, oh, I'll start with one other thing. This is, this is more of a philosophical uh, fix. 
I think that one of the biggest epidemics is the concept that other people, it's other people's responsibility and they'll do a good job or they'll protect me, giving away power. And it, for those that are experts in education, they talk about the US educational system being built after the Prussian system designed to create good soldiers, not necessarily good thinkers, designed to give your power away, but it's actually really all over the world. When I travel around the world, I'll speak to a regulator in another country and they'll say, we don't actually have to do tests on GMOs because your FDA approved it. So they're thinking it's someone else's responsibility. I'm sure they did a good job. You look at the FDA policy and it says, we allow companies like Monsanto to determine if their foods are safe. They can put it on the market without even telling the FDA. If they want to participate in a voluntary consultation within, you know, they can put in, they can give us anything they want and they never give the raw data. They never give anything that would be sufficient to actually evaluate the safety, but it doesn't matter because at the end of this meaningless exercise, the FDA writes a letter to the company, doesn't say your food is safe. It says, this is to remind you that it's your responsibility to determine that your food is safe. So they now are suffering from, it's not our responsibility, it's their responsibility. When you look at Monsanto, the infamous GMO giant purchased recently by Bayer, they are experts at checkbook science, at rigging research. Uh, I'll give you an example that just came out from these Roundup trials, something that no one was aware of at the time. I've been cataloging all the ways that they rig research. I find it one of the funnest things I do because it's so blatant. I can just spend the next half hour just blowing your mind by how did they get away with that? It's so obvious, but here's an example. To get their Roundup approved, they have to do a, a penetration study to see how much is absorbed in human skin. So they took a cadaver, put Roundup on it, and were un, uh, unhappy that 10% absorbed through the skin because that was more than 3.3 times the allowable level by the EPA. So they hid that evidence, illegal, hid the evidence. What they did do is they took new cadaver skin and baked it in an oven. Now, you know what happens when you bake meat, it gets tough, but it wasn't good enough. So after they baked it, they froze it. They took this, fro this leather-like human skin and put Roundup on it and reported that to the EPA, hardly any absorption whatsoever, never telling them that they had baked and frozen the human skin before applying Roundup. This is typical. This is unbelievably typical. I mean, it gets worse. The, the, the fraud, the scientific fraud is breathtaking, breathtaking. And you, it's like, it'll blow your mind how unscientific science is when it's associated with product approval and how much influence there is of regulatory agencies. For example, why is it that the FDA doesn't require any safety studies? It's because the person in charge of policy at the FDA in the 1990s that created that policy was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney. 
They made a position for him because the White House told the FDA to promote GMOs. So they brought in Michael Taylor after he said, basically ignored the concerns by the scientists. We have their memos. The consistent consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was that GMOs were different and dangerous and needed to be tested. So the policy said GMOs are the same and don't need to be tested. He then became Monsanto's vice president and then put back in the FDA as the US food czar under Obama. So we're in a situation where the Fox is owning the head house. The EPA, similarly, we have the memos now from the millions of documents made public from the lawsuits. Monsanto had their lapdogs at the Environmental Protection Agency working on their behalf. When they wanted to declare that glyphosate did not cause cancer, they used Monsanto's rigged research and ignored the peer-reviewed published studies. So we have we know exactly how they came to their wrong conclusions, and we have, an, have Monsanto's executives talking to each other about how this person at the EPA is so useful for them, and how the guy at the EPA says, if I can stop this other government agency from doing research on glyphosate and cancer, I should get a medal. Why does he want to stop another US agency from doing research on the cancer, the carcinogenicity of Roundup? Because he's working on behalf of Monsanto. Where should he get his medal from? It was in his conversation with Monsanto. So these are examples of the way that companies like Monsanto capture governments and regulatory agencies. We have the WikiLeaks showing that the US State Department was an enforcement wing and marketing department for Monsanto. So we have the ambassador to Spain saying, I just met with the director of Monsanto in the region and can you provide support for this government to create a pro-GMO policy and then the ambassador to France said, we'd like you to draw up a list of countries that are resistant to GMOs and to cause some pain, unquote. So you have that. You have USAID, the Agency for International Development. A friend of mine was debating one of their representatives in South Africa. And after the TV lights went down, they continued to argue. And she let out the real agenda and said, you just wait. There'll be so many GMOs planted in South Africa that the contamination will be so great that no one in Africa could plant a non-GMO. So there was an intentional contamination being pushed forward by the Agency for International Development, a branch of the US government. So you look at all these things and you realize this is not just hidden. These are explicit. Someone gave a, a PowerPoint to the dairy industry more than two decades ago saying the two goals of the FDA, providing safe food and drugs and to promote biotechnology, it's explicit. They're actually, they're actually mandated to promote biotechnology. The US government gave money to the FDA and money to others to promote biotechnology through fake media, through, through propaganda. There's money that goes out from the State Department to support that. When, country, when countries come to the United States and ask for ideas how to regulate, they sometimes offer Monsanto, literally, as the expert, and then Monsanto representatives will meet with the other country. They'll give money, they'll, they'll pay for reporters to come to the United States to learn how to report on biotechnology and send them to Monsanto headquarters. It is like locked at the hip. It is absolutely breathtaking how much power these companies have had.
but it's not just in the United States. As I said before, I've traveled to 45 countries. I've interviewed the regulators. I've interviewed the scientists. And I'm often talking to the independent ones who know that GMOs are dangerous. Maybe they've even prepared dossiers for their committee that evaluates GMOs for that country. And they say they pull their hair out because the majority are there because they're pro-GMO, they're put there by the government or by industry, and they don't even read the dossier. They just rubber stamp it. I've spoken to some of these regulators and they're amazingly, let's be tactful, stupid, <laughs> stupid in what can go wrong. They are completely ignorant about what can go wrong and they're, they're backed up by talking points from the biotech industry. And very often when they leave the regulatory position, they end up working for the biotech industry with a large paycheck paying ultimately, in my opinion, for the work that they did prior to being an employee or consultant. So if we think about what's going on, we can see that it's not a democracy, it's a corporatocracy. And fortunately, these trials recently for Monsanto made a big difference. So that's one remedy using the courts. And there's other remedies we can do about creating independent regulatory agencies. I remember being flown to Brazil by the federal prosecutors. Federal prosecutors are, are independent of the government so that they can sue the government. So they were all about having me talk about the truth of corporate control of countries like the United States because they had the free hand to investigate. We don't have that in the United States. Wow. Well, you know, it just, it goes to show that when you investigate these things, really anything, right? When you start to boil it down, it always comes back to the money and money and control, which make perfect sense. And when you're talking about the trials, it's so overt and obvious for people who look into it. You're, you're, you can't even make it up. It's like, you know, this guy worked for them. Now he's in the government and it's, and it's so blatantly obvious what's happening. And anybody who does this research, whether it's food or another thing, um, world events or banking or money, when something is off and you try to figure that out, well, someone's making a lot of money and they have control and then they have friends to keep it in place because they look at the things to prevent that. And they're like, oh, well, this is going to be an issue. How can we solve that so we can continue you know, playing out this agenda that we have? And it's it's unnerving because you you mentioned a word that I think is important and you said uh, you know in that debate that the contamination is intentional and you know I'm right now I'm putting together a uh, law summit that I recommend everybody check out because it it kind of has all these experts from around the world to it's like how can this happen right the FDA is supposed to help but it's it's not you know all these regulatory agencies are supposed to help, but they're not. The courts are supposed to be for uh, just people, but they're not. It's to hose people and overtax them and, and give them um, you know, all these regulations and rules and all this kind of stuff that they didn't agree to um, and coerce them. And so it, it becomes really challenging, especially for people who are new to kind of waking up. They're like, whoa, this is what's actually happening. And so what do we do? We feel pretty small. But when you talk about the intentional thing, it's really hard for people to wrap their minds around people wanting to intentionally destroy the planet or harm others or not have other pe uh, people's best interest at heart. And that's a big red pill that people need to swallow 
there are people that that have that intent and unfortunately these people have enormous power and in very powerful positions and they're more thinking about the profit maybe maybe it's more diabolical we don't know um but they're definitely thinking about profit and how to move these systems forward so uh i was gonna ask you a question but do you want to just chime in sure um you know the intentional contamination it's it can be interpreted as beneficent or maleficent it can be interpreted in both ways if someone is convinced that gmos are safe but their but their adoption will increase us exports and dominance in food and that that's the purpose of usaid or or whatever then the contamination piece is we don't want any african countries resisting it we want them to be contaminated so they can't get any more non-gmo food so that they will accept our products so you see that may be diabolical in terms of marketing or it may just be good marketing but it isn't necessarily destroying the earth it's following a narrative that is more narrow they don't pay attention to what's outside their boundaries they focus narrowly um, an example that also came from south africa i was talking to a plant breeder uh sugarcane and he said normally it takes 15 years and about 350,000 different plants to end up with one variety to introduce into the market. But he had worked with Monsanto to create a Roundup Ready variety and um, he genetically engineered it and it was ready, but there was no market for it. So he ended up burying it. So I tricked him in a way. He was a nice guy. I wasn't. I said, so you do the breeding and then you let Monsanto do the safety studies. He goes, that's right. So you figure out what the best one is ag agronomically and they do the intergenerational animal feeding studies and the human clinical trials and they handle all that. He goes, that's right. And I said, they don't. <laughs> they don't do intergenerational animal feeding studies. They don't do serious single generational animal feeding studies. Not a single human, human clinical trial has ever been done. He didn't know because it was outside his lane. So the people at AIG, the Agency for International AID, International Development, they don't know that it's actually dangerous because the official government policy that came out of Michael Taylor's FDA was that there's no difference between GMOs and non-GMOs. That is what they believed. Now, there's also an official government policy, official uh, propaganda policy that GMOs will feed the world. I remember talking to a, a safety tester at Monsanto, and I, I, I gave him an argument that there was no possible way that he could be sure that he wasn't hurting people. And his response was, but we need it to feed the world. I talked to another Monsanto researcher, and I said basically the same thing from a different angle. And he said, but we need to feed the world. And they actually believed it, or at least they said they did. But I spoke to another person from Monsanto who took the position of Monsanto because he had read the words of CEO um, uh, and Hugh, um, I forget his name, but he read the words of this guy and was excited and expounded at the new employee uh, orientation in, in headquarters uh, Robert Shapiro, the CEO, and the vice president pulled this guy, my friend, um, who used to work for Monsanto, um, uh, Kirk Azevedo. He pulled Kirk aside and said, let me tell you something. What Robert Shapiro says is one thing. 
What we do is something else. He tells a story, but we're here to make money. In other words, don't talk to the employees about all these good ideas about turning fields into factories and cleaning up process waste. That's, we don't even know what he's talking about. That's the story for the public. What we're here to do is to make money. He discovered that Monsanto's genetically engineered cotton had all these uncharacteristic proteins, uncharacterized proteins, new, and they were feeding them to dairy cows, including right up his street, and that that could change the effect on the milk and meat. He tried to raise the issue in Monsanto and was ostracized. He tried to raise it among the um, agricultural commissioners in the counties of California. He was ignored. No one of the professors he spoke to in California paid any attention. So he left the company saying, I don't want to be part of this disaster. So he was aware that this idea of feeding the world was a myth because a vice president told him. These two other scientists never got the memo. But the one said, you know, I've been to India. I've seen their agriculture and they need GMOs. That was before Monsanto bought up a, a cottonseed company and started sending GMO cotton into India. Well, it's been a disaster. The cotton is very poorly performing when it doesn't have irrigation. It sometimes causes problems with germination and all these things overrun by insects. It has resulted because they marketed so well, all these farmers took out loans in the in the you know from loan sharks up to seven percent interest per month per month and when they couldn't even pay back their loans they had to face losing their family's land many committed suicide so that 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 wipes away the debt allows the family to keep the land and there's been over 250,000 suicides associated with farmers that planted the genetically engineered cotton. So this guy said we needed for we needed it for India. It's been a disaster. In addition, the cotton is associated with itching and respiratory conditions for people who are touching it. When animals feed on the cotton plants after harvest in several seasons, there was widespread deaths of of buffalo, goats and sheep. I've been to villages where that happened, which, which wipes out some of the individual economies. So it's been a disaster. And it actually hasn't even increased the yield, even though Monsanto keeps claiming it has. It hasn't. And recently, information came out to verify that, even at the government level. So this whole thing, it's a lockdown on the truth. And they have, as you can see in the documents that were made public from the lawsuit recently, they have designed an, eco an echo chamber of front groups, of so-called scientists, of reporters that work on their behalf. And they'll create a whole campaign to put out talking points, have everyone say the same thing, and then those same people say it's a consensus. And they've been able to stop really important research from having its effect. When they showed that Roundup-ready corn caused pretend, caused um, early deaths, organ damage, and massive tumors in rats. They were able to discredit that research, even though it was better than any research that Monsanto had done. So it is in a breathtaking and highly unethical machine that has been set up that I have helped expose, but it's still not well known enough. So thank you for this. And we bring it back now
to protect nature now, because I think it's important. We talked about how they own a lot of governments. There's been a change. The, the Roundup trials have been a chink in their armor, and the pandemic has given people an unmet need to try and protect against future pandemics. If you look at Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, you'll see that we talk about not just not letting genetically engineered microbes out of the laboratory into the environment, but to not allow genetic enhancement of pathogens, which if they did release accidentally, would cause more pandemics. And we give an example of the H5N1 avian flu, which is at least 24 times more deadly than the COVID-19 virus, and, and genetic engineers made it airborne. I mean, it hard, it's very hard to catch and it, very hard to contract in its normal way. Only hundreds of people got it, but 52% died. And then they made it airborne. Shocking. It could theoretically decimate the population if it escaped. So we've packaged our demands in a way that make the pandemic psyche want them and understand them. We know microbes can travel around the world and wreak havoc. We know what a pandemic looks like. And now if we're gonna implement the lessons of the pandemic, we should put these in, into play. And we have, we have elected officials who are ready to start when they see enough participation on our advocacy platform. So I encourage people again to go there so we can take advantage of this window in time and lock this down. Wow. Well, that's all incredibly powerful. And, and one of the things that um, I was thinking about when you're sharing that story about how people are so compartmentalized in the propaganda, it's the same thing with what's going on now. There's like this propaganda point that people can't get past. And, um, you know, I've studied psychological operations for many years, wanting to know the limits of consciousness. But I also learned that people are using hypnosis and propaganda for for their own means. And it is incredibly powerful. It, it, it makes people um, lose reason and also not be able to see the other side. Like once it's sunk in, they can't take that new evidence. And we're seeing that now we're seeing that in many different ways. Um, so some people don't have the time um, to even look at it. But when they're in the game, they actually believe they're doing something good and and they're unable to see something else. So that's a pretty dangerous thing. But uh, I really like your optimistic view on how we can shift this because like I said, I think law is a big part. There's the National Action Task Force in the states that maybe you could team up with because um, a lot of these law groups are coming up because food is important. And then the health freedom movement that I'm a part of as well, it's like, they're, they both require law. Like who is going to enforce this? And, uh, you know, Mark Passio has this quote that says, uh, order followers keep the system of slavery in place. Somebody orders a human to do a thing and rather doing the, the ethical thing. Sometimes they believe it and that's where the propaganda works. Sometimes they're doing it for money. That's where the greed factor works. And so what we need is the action and accountability, like you said, is for each of us to have this accountability to save ourselves, to be aware, to take an action where we can, maybe a small one, maybe a bigger one if, if applicable, but there's, there's movements like yours. There's these uh, law groups that are coming out that are people People are working together to find the solution, right? And so we're looking at all these harms, like, you know, another 
um, thing just came out the other day about uh, parents testing the masks. Well, I figured out what was in those masks right away with ethylene oxide, and then doing a little bit of study on ethylene oxide. It's like, that's poison. If you, it, it, by definition, poison, if you wear it all day, you're probably not going to feel great. So if we have poison in our food, by definition, we're probably not going to be real great after years of eating it or our kids and autoimmune and all these stuff. You can track it back to that. So how do we get back to clean, responsible farming? How do we hold these mega corporations and these institutions within our governments that are supposed to be for us? Well, how do we do that? We're going to have to keep problem solving that. And, and this isn't a, a go away thing. It's if that doesn't work, we try another thing. We try another thing. We try another thing. And enough people working together, right, in a single focus, you're going to find that result. You're going to be able to get them to step down or stop doing what they're doing um, if they're just based on greed, right, or whatever, because people are going to look at them. They're going to be able to stop that. And so that's kind of what they've done in your situation where people want to do the honorable thing. They got them out of their way and put in people who wanted to do the dishonorable thing. And I've learned that through, you know, banking and, and some of the stuff that they've done with confessions of an economic hitman and things like that. So, um, you know, this is incredibly powerful. I said at the beginning, I appreciate your work. I know that you're a busy human being. Um, any final thoughts, anything that you want to share to the listeners? And I highly recommend people take an action, go to the website, share the videos, look for a way to support because health freedom, food freedom, uh, and freedom freedom, <laughs> just being able to do what you want, you know, peacefully is very important. And, and food is a big attack. Health is a big attack. And we need to uh, correct that trajectory and take it out of the people who really are just seeking control and profit if we give them the benefit of the doubt and put that food production back in the hands of the people because that's really all we need clean food clean water and shelter and we're good and guess what's leaving us clean food clean water and shelter and so you know we better correct this or or it's not going to be great well thank you for your very articulate review of the systemic problems and I'm going to speak to that in, in a moment. Um, a friend of mine was talking to a Hawaiian elder in the early 90s. And the Hawaiian elder explained that sometime around now, we risked losing uh, biological evolution as we know it. And I took that when I heard that uh, last year as our work, as, our, as this threat right here. I can't think of anything that would fit better to those to that phrase. And when I was motivated in 1996 to get on board, I was about holistic solutions. You know, let's raise the tide and all the boats lift up, systemic change, consciousness development, collective consciousness development. But I also realized that the word triage is important here. In triage, it came from military hospitals where the wounded soldiers were coming. They put them into three categories. Those that would live no matter what you do. Those who would die no matter what you do. And those who would live or die depending on what you do. And that was the group they focused on first. So I looked at GMOs being introduced in 1996. It was that year that they were becoming commercialized. And I realized this is a bleeding patient in the emergency room. This is something where we need to make a change. I could focus on raising collective consciousness, systemic change, etc. 
by the time I raised all boats with the, with the team, the patient is dead. What is the patient? In this case, the food supply and nature. Irreversible. It's not like a chemical spill, which will clean up over time. It is a self-propagating corruption of the gene pool, which lasts for as long as the species lasts. The only thing that lasts longer is extinction. And that we've arrived at that time where we're playing like infants and causing massive outcomes. Massive outcomes. We, in 1859, 24 rabbits were released in Australia to make settlers feel at home so they can hunt them. By the 1920s, there was over 10 billion rabbits in Australia. They didn't have the wider vision. We're now about to replace nature if we don't stop it, not just with rabbits, but with everything. So I applaud and support your efforts and others for holistic change, government, law, consciousness. But I have chosen to work in the triage in the area that I think needs it the most and where I can have the biggest impact and where if we're not successful, everything else collapses. In one of our films that we created in terms of protecting against replacing nature, if they solve climate change and protect the soil and protect the oceans and all and rainforests and all those are successful, we still might lose it all to gene editing. And because it's not well known, we really need people on board to help us get it known, which is why we have the advocacy platform, why we're putting out all these educational assets and why we need support financially. So I, I applaud you for what you're doing. And you understand that I've chosen to be straight vanilla GMOs, not focus on this, not focus on this, but straight rifle barrel, because that's what's needed right now for this particular issue, while others like you are working on these other systemic pieces. So we work together in a different focus. And I want to thank you for your work. Well, thank you so much for the kind words and thank you for being in the game for so long. I think you said 2006. Well, no, before that. actually 1996 is yeah, when wow. I started. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible. And that's incredible perseverance because it's a challenging path. Um, it isn't a profit centered path. It's, you know, it's one that's service based. And so, uh, you know, and doing it for half that time, it's, uh, it's incredibly challenging. So thanks for doing the amazing work and where, where just drop your websites one more time for where people should go to check things out and, and support. And, you know, I invite people to share this video as far as they can check out your shorter films. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of information over there. People can start to uh, get their feet wet and, and, and look around. ProtectNatureNow.com. Watch the film, 16 minutes. Don't let the gene out of the bottle. Get on the advocacy program. Make a donation. That's, that's like to protect the big picture. Um, to know how to eat better, well, you can go to LiveHealthyBeWell.com. Watch the movie Secret Ingredients. There's a 90-day um, a lifestyle upgrade you can get involved with. If you simply want to access the glyphosate, um, report on which foods have high levels go to responsibletechnology.org and that's like the mothership of information the 25 years of my work are sort of you can find them through various ways of 
resources and articles and and I've got books and movies, etc. So those three, livehealthybewell.com, responsibletechnology.org, protectnaturenow.com. And of course, we have Facebook through the Institute for Responsible Technology. I do live Facebooks almost every week, and I've got a podcast at Live Healthy Be Well. So you just get into our universe, you'll find ways that you can want to connect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for coming on the show. I invite people to share this, check out the links, do what they can to get the word out there because I agree it's incredibly important and you can articulate it better than almost anybody out there and provide the research and what's what we need to know to say, hey, no, this is what it is. If you look at it, like this is where the evidence is and here is a solution. Let's, let's uh, band together. Let's focus there. So I uh, just appreciate everything you've done and for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Matthew. Safe eating. Yeah, yeah, you too. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Jeffrey Smith. I highly encourage you guys to check out his sites, to check out his resources. This truly is a war on food, and we win it through education and sharing and working together and being aware. Uh, we are in very serious times, and I am so confident in all the beautiful, amazing people to find solutions for what we're facing. We just need to be aware of it. So check out his websites. Please share this episode as far and as wide as you can. Share it in every social media platform. And messages and emails because that is the way it gets out. Email blasts, email groups, start your own blog, start your own podcast, do whatever you can to spread the truth. It is so critical in these times and we appreciate you. Uh, for those of you guys who want to go a step deeper into some of my work and you want to get really clear on making a difference in this world and you want to go from clarity and empowerment and living your life purpose and vocation to calling uh, and you want to architect your life deliberately, check out the Soul Compass course. It is phenomenal. You can also check out the Quantum Heart Hypnosis or you can go to mattbailer.com forward slash coaching and we can work one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting to support you and your goals uh, to achieving the reality that you want to live in in these very challenging times. So uh, you can go to mattbailer.com for all of that. Um, the best way to show, support the show as always is three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Make sure that you're doing what you can to spread kindness and compassion and goodness in, the, in these very challenging times. So stay positive. We got this. The divine spark uh, is in you. The human spirit, uh, the thing that connects us to all life and all goodness, it is in you. And if you have spirit and source and God within you in whatever way you perceive that, know that we have got this handled. We just need to walk the line of truth, of justice, and of courage. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close it out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, kindness, compassion, courage, spiritual power, connection, the universe, God, nature, goodness, and joy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, uh, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.